when I was last here, I brought you an introduction into the new chapter in our systematic theology uh, course that we're running here at the church. And we've now come to the doctrine of the law. And I pose you two questions, well, really one with two clauses. What is man to believe concerning God? <clears throat> and what duty does God requires of man? And as such, I exclaimed through the answers, as both were points in my introduction, that God expects you to have a clear understanding that the scripture speaks of him. There is no other source that can do that. But then also the duty required of man is that man is to be obedient to God's revealed will. So with that said, today we're going to look in this next sermon lesson at the next chapter, which is in regards to obedience. Shall we now look to the Lord our God in prayer? Father, we do thank you for the Sabbath day that you've given us, Lord. We thank you that you've made us mindful that this is a day to glorify your son. Be with your servant as he preaches and teaches your sheep. And knowing full and well that you alone, and you alone, Lord, are only the Lord of the conscience. Give the congregation a childlike love and a willing mind to receive what is being taught, Lord, today. It's right as if the truth that is being spoken of is coming from your very mouth. I pray that it is edify the people, and as they move forward, they can see true and most that the preacher spoke well, that you had man-made upright, but we sought our own devices. May it be that we caution ourselves and see not our own goals, but our, have our heart renewed with new form of obedience, and that in daily we seek to obey you. So in Christ's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to ask you a question. And I say this rhetorically only because I know you cannot answer me back while I'm on this platform. <laughs> Can a man, mere, mere man, do what is required of God? By way of answer, no. In fact, no mere man is able in this life to perfectly keep the commandment of God, but you will, you have, and you will continually violate that commandment daily in word, so in your speech, in your thoughts, and in your deeds. What about if you came to grace? What about if you're under grace? Surely a man can keep the law of God if he was under grace. I'm going to double down here and tell you no again. Our catechism lesson. I'm sorry. I apologize. Did that correctly. Our larger catechism. If you want to research a little bit further, answer 149 even goes through this stipulation. No man is able, neither of himself or by any grace received in this life, to perfectly keep the commandments of God, but doth break them in thought, in word, and deed. Well, hold on here. You stated in your first lesson, God requires that we be obedient to his revealed will. How then, even under grace... How can a man not be obedient? This is what we're going to get down to. So I want to bring to your attention, and I'm going to bring this back full circle. 
In my last sermon lesson, I brought to you the very thing that drew our parents to eat of the tree. Is they saw it that it would make one wise. Genesis 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband who was with her, and he ate. You see, from the beginning, obedience was kind of an afterthought. And even from the text, the helper, or in this case, the wife, did not obey her husband, and the husband did not obey God. So with this, in this new chapter, which is considering the doctrine of the law in the terms of obedience, I'm going to bring you back to what happened in the beginning with more clarity and detail. And the next lesson I provide we're also going to tie and show how Adam's violation ties to his posterity. So really, today is really one point, and we're going to take a closer look at Genesis. So if you have your Bibles, and if you like, especially those in the telecast, you can turn to Genesis 1, and we'll start at verse 26 to 28, so that we can bring this all in full circle. Now, note the wisdom of God here. Verse 26 states, God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish. Let them rule over the birds, over the cattle, over all, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him, male and female. He created them. God bless them, and here's a commandment. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over all the fish, over all the birds, and over every little thing that moves on the earth. If you have not seen it already, I want to clarify this for you. Here is the hierarchy in the system of how life was portrayed on the earth. Note here what God has created. Man and woman to rule over every creeping and living thing that wasn't considered to be human. Now, turn your attention to verse 29. God said, Behold, I have given you, speaking unto man first, every planting seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I've given green plant for food. So, the Lord sets up the habitation. So, through this process of hierarchy, we've now come to one, man and woman, two, every living species aside from human beings, and then three, the earth, or in this case, plants, and every other habitation that yields seeds. And note how the Lord stamps his work in creation and providence here. God saw all that he made, and behold, it was very good. You know, the stamp of it was very good is stated numerous times in Genesis 1, but it's an affirmation of his work that everything that God creates was is 
and will be very good. So you must have the same type of attitude when you're coming into the faith. This is not something where you can just be nonchalant and think, well, you know, why does this happen? Why does this happen? No, 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 no. Everything that God creates is very good. If not, read Romans 8, especially at verses 26 to 28 to find out more about why everything God does is very good. But nonetheless, now we're going to continue. And I'm going to have you go back to, or actually, because I said go back because I brought it up in my first introductory lesson, but turn your Bibles now to chapter 2. But I'm going to go back full circle and kind of explaining now, after reading Genesis 1, we are now going to quote unquote give the makeup of how now the hierarchies were in play. So you know how in Genesis 1, you notice the creation and the way the system and about how they were to live in harmony and humanity. But then in Genesis 2, on the other hand, now we're getting the depths. We're getting towards the makeup of how man was formed and the intentions that God had for man. I mean, consider when I brought back to you, and you can bring your attention to verses 8 and 9 in chapter 2. You note how God created the plants and created the gardens. And through verses 10 to 14 in that same chapter, we have the rivers and all the minerals that are being made. So God took man, which as I've given you in the system, which was to rule over everything that was on the earth. He took man from the dust of the ground and into him breathed life and he became a living being. He gave man the constructs of how he wanted to have his, how he wanted to have Adam work the garden. He wanted him to cultivate it. That's an important key term, to cultivate, to keep it, to have a ministerial kind of approach to the garden. So, if there were to be a keeping of the garden, will Adam need a help me? Well, the Lord saw it to be so. If we look at Genesis, still in chapter 2, verses 18, the Lord God said with his own mouth, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So by verse 19, the Lord first provides him the animals. Oh, interesting note here. And he brings them over to Adam. And based on the command, Adam goes ahead and calls every creature according to what God had ordained for Adam to do. But note by verse number 20 in this same chapter, there was not yet a suitable helper for him. So I bring you this adage here, that when every beast, fish, and crawly thing were created, 
they too were also created male and female. See, these are notes that kind of get lost in the way that people read their Bibles. And why would I say this? Well, by good and necessary consequence deduced from Scripture, Genesis 1, 20-23, the Lord said, Let the waters tim with swarms of living creatures, and let the birds fly above the earth and in the open, in the expanse of the heavens. And then by verse 21, again, God saw what he made was good. And then by verse 22, he said to those same creatures, Be fruitful, multiply, Fill the waters in the sea and let the birds multiply on the earth. So, how is Adam, after we read Genesis 1, to go ahead and be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth? Well, if we continue in Genesis 2, looking at verse 21, God causes a deep sleep to fall upon him. And then he takes the one rib and clothes the flesh at that one place. So the Lord and his wise and holy counsel fashions into that rib a woman which was taken from man and he brought her to Adam. So now, if you kind of note the way this system is now being exfolded, the system now has its completion. It's in harmony. There is that tranquility. There is God. There is man. There is woman. There is animal species, and then there's a habitation, which is the earth. That system is founded as the rudimentary core at which God found it to be good. I'm going to say it again. That system is rudimentary and what God found for it to be good. So the way that he stated it, and had it played in Genesis chapter 2. He has made it very clear that's what his intention was, that his intention is, and that is what his intention will be going into the future. Why do I say that? Because now it's all going to tie back again to that question I posed to you in the beginning and how why mere man cannot do what is required by God. Think about it. Adam had the whole thing set up properly. God, in his security for Adam, set up the whole system. And yet, what do we find? Well, for starters, I believe Adam was doing, up to the point <laughs> that we're going to get to, what God was commanding. He was going to be fruitful and multiply. I think Adam mated with Eve. And I can note this by verse 23, especially when he speaks of her and tells him that she's the bones of my bones. But then by verse 24, for this reason, man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. I'm going to leave that to people's imagination and to how to that to, uh, can be disseminated. But I believe that transpired when he met her. But when we get now, and if you turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3, here's where 
that's harmony of life and the macrocosm of that hierarchy gets distorted. So, I bring you to verse number one. If you still have your Bibles, you will see that the Lord created the serpent. And it's even stated that the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. Now, beloved, I want you to understand up to this point that if you consider the word serpent and you look at it in our modern Miriam Mr. Dictionary, I believe they call it the snake. And they also even call it a traitor. But I want you to notice the argument I'm making to you here in regards to the verses I'm using. Adam named all the animals. I have no doubt in my mind he also named the serpent. And if the serpent was named, it was probably given that name because unlike all the other, other animals that probably mooed or roared or like some monkeys, they like to screech. This one was speaking. I, he was having a conversation with the man. <laughs> it might have been full blown for all I know. But I wouldn't be shocked that when we now get to verse number two, note here the idea I'm about to portray to you. The serpent, when he brings the conversation, discussion with Adam and Eve, he doesn't choose Adam, he chooses Eve. I have no doubt in my mind that serpent tried every bit to persuade Adam to eat of that tree. He couldn't get Adam to do it. Maybe he can get Eve. Now watch how I'm going to bring this even forward. So by verse number two is stated as the serpent speaks to Eve. Not Adam. Remember, he's speaking to Eve. Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? So, by his question, he points and he appeals to an authority above Adam. He said, had God not said not to eat from any tree, he didn't, he didn't tell Eve, and remember I gave you the hierarchy, did Adam say not to eat from any tree? Now note here how Eve kindly responds. From the fruit of the tree of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Now, from good and necessary consequence deduced from scripture and with Adam being superior to Eve, it's Adam who told Eve that the tree in the middle of the garden he didn't tell her, or in his process of trying to teach her, it was pretty clear she may not be getting that this is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, it's the tree that's in the middle of the garden. And she's still posing questions. So then he probably responds, you should not eat from it or even touch it or you will die. 
<laughs> oh, man. Boy, oh, boy. The unique dynamics of this conversation before I move forward is that both Eve and the serpent appealed to use God to usurp Adam's authority. Ah, that is something people don't bring up. See, they were trying to have a conversation outside of Adam where if we can make a valid argument, is this true what God really said? Because God is the ultimate authority. I think Adam got it wrong here. God wasn't teaching Adam the proper way. So, it goes without question that now I want to bring to your attention that dynamic of when you notice within the hierarchy, when you're having insurrection brewing, that, I tell you, is one of the worst sins you can ever have. And what was really even more telling to me was that in God's dynamic uh, set up in Genesis 2, at which Adam knew the directive and, and his process of not only cultivating, guarding, and keeping it, and the wife was his responsibility. He should have probably dictated to her exactly what God had said. And based on her, her response, it didn't seem to me he was doing too good of a job there. But let's, let's continue down this, this discourse here. So, as both the serpent and Eve showed that Adam didn't know what he's talking about, God has to be the final authority. Oh, we go down to verse number four. Now, the serpent has Eve where he wants. For he needs to get Eve to disobey Adam. You, you see, this is, <laughs> I'm giving you the clear crux of this. I'm not trying to, I know it's kind of weird from a single guy trying to say all this, but I'm not trying to make this a dynamic at which our parents, yes, they violated God's law, but I want you to know God has a system. He has a hierarchy. And again, it is all good the way that he created it. So verse number four, the serpent says to the woman, dispelling what Adam told her, surely you will not die. For again, not appealing to Adam, he states, God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, the serpent has it in his mind. I gotcha, Eve, because you and I both don't respect Adam. He's supposed to rule over us. And since we're appealing to God, I can tell you better than Adam what God has said. So, Let's see here. The inferior has usurped the superior because Eve was also supposed to have rule over the serpent. Why didn't she not correct him? Hmm. But she believed him since she had intentions to usurp her, Eve, her superior. 
So, with that being said, and we both know, as the narrative entailed, that <laughs> by verse number six, we know that he sees the tree, the tree was good for food, the tree was desirable to make one wise, so she took the fruit and ate it. Now I have a question for those who are independent, who are feminists, and those who kind of like to uh, believe that the dynamics of the nuclear family is toxic. I got a question. Just hear me out here. Why didn't Eve immediately knew or was shameful that they were naked when she ate from the tree? Scripture states she ate. But better yet, why didn't Eve die? Because God said the day you eat from it, you will surely die. Right? So he ate first. And why didn't Adam notice that she was naked or found it to be shameful? Why didn't Adam notice that, oh my gosh, she died? Like, dropped. You see? <laughs> the very directive from God given in his whole white council and why I gave you that hierarchy. God, Adam, Eve, animal, and habitation was because Genesis 2, 16, and 17 states, the Lord God commanded the man. He commanded Adam. From any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but the, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall eat, for not in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. Adam was the trump card to Eve's mischief. Adam was to guide and protect Eve and teach her, especially being his, the superior to her inferiority. He was to be the trump card. He was the one who was given the directive. So it's when Adam eats, that's the day things break loose. So let's go down the rabbit hole even further. For the scripture then continues, after she ate, she also gave to her husband who was with her, and then he eats. Now the trump card has been infiltrated. And when Adam eats, that's when their eyes were opened. And if you know, in verse 25, in Genesis chapter 22, I believe they knew they were naked. And I believe they knew they weren't ashamed. I mean, if you look at a dog or you look at animals on the Discovery Channel, you don't see them with clothes. And we don't think twice about thinking that they're shameful. I believe that understanding. So it's with this, I'm even going to, I'm going to even want to bring this to your attention. When they had saw that they were naked, they weren't disgraced because they were naked. They were disgraced because they, well, actually, I'll even go further. They disobeyed God. In fact, I believe when Adam knew she was naked, 
the disgrace that came with it. He was the one I believe designed the fig trees and she helped sow it so they cover their loins. Because he's like, look, we broke the law of God. We ate from the tree of the knowledge. We, I ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I have to put clothes on you. Like, put these on, put these on, put this on. You see, that hierarchy in that system never changes with God. I still think Adam had a big deal when it came to having themselves clothed because when they saw they were naked, it was until Adam ate that Adam had to see the shame. Adam had to see the disgrace of what it was when you disobey. Eve could not have seen that. So, disobedience runs muck. As you can see, nothing good comes from it. Verse 8. Our parents hid our, themselves from God, from the sheer presence. They ran away from him. Note, they heard the sound of the Lord their God walking in the garden in the cold day. And the man and woman hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Did you remember when I brought to you from the first introductory lesson, Exodus 20, 18 through 19? The Israelites, when they saw the lightning, they saw the smoke. They saw the flashes, the sound of trumpet. They told Moses, it is better you speak with us than have God speak with us because we will die. Again, the shame. Oh, I'm not going to stop there. You can add this one to your notes. Turn to Revelation 6 and that great day, that final judgment. Note here, we'll start at verse number 12, but I will paraphrase until I get to verse number 15. I look and I see, this is John with the revelation, that he broke the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth made out of hair. The whole moon became like blood. The stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by the great wind. But note this. By verse 15, the kings of the earth, the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong, every slave and free man hid themselves in the cave among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and they said to the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come. Who is able to stand? <laughs> as we go deeper down the rabbit hole and as the hierarchy has been continued to be distorted I bring to you Genesis 3 verse 9 then the Lord called unto man and said to him where are you he said I heard the I heard the son of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid myself I was ashamed I disobeyed you Again, Genesis 2, 25, they knew they were naked and yet not ashamed because Adam had not disobeyed. Again, Eve ate of the tree. Why didn't Adam see that she was naked and was ashamed? It's when Adam ate, that's when disobedience, and that's when the hierarchy took its distortion. So, I bring to your attention now, verse number 11. 
<laughs> Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to? Now, <laughs> it's not a point of that the guy is surprised that they told him that they were naked. It was the sheer fact that you found shame in your nakedness. And by his question, he can assert because of his answer, you disobeyed me. So you are ashamed that you're naked. See? <laughs> now, here comes, and this is the reason why I call it the hierarchy distortion. Because here comes the blame game. Now, <laughs> rather, <laughs> rather than taking upon himself the blame. Now, mind you, when God asked the question, who told you that you were naked? Note here. <laughs> Note here who responds first. It's not Eve. It's Adam. God still works within that realm and system. Note. He stated in verse number 11, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I command you not to eat? Adam responds, not Eve. And note what Adam says. <laughs> now, it's so interesting being single and to hear this. Um, I don't know. I want to say from the aspects of most couples going on to this in, in, in this uh, day and age about how they've come to live, but I, I'll definitely tell you from the aspect of what true godliness and leading, and as a man who's in the faith and leading your wife in marriage, I, I can definitely, I can definitely say that the man should definitely take the responsibility of making the answers on behalf of the family. So, in respects, I do expect that Adam should do that, but the answer he gives to me, I find is kind of not so much hysterical, but it kind of brings up an interesting point. You see, if you kind of put, get in Adam's shoes, he's thinking, well, if I put the blame on the inferiors, if I blame Eve, God will forgive me for my disobedience, for surely you, God, gave me this helper. You're the one who gave me this woman. See, I was doing great. I didn't eat from the tree. I knew not to eat from the tree when all, I was hanging with all the beasts. So would they say dogs is man's best friend? Surely, because he knows you listen to man when he tells him to run and to jump and to go wherever he needs to go. But all of a sudden, you give me this one, you know, life don't seem too hot right now. So surely he's going to forgive me if I say this. So note what he states. The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. Now watch how God then now goes down the hierarchy. So he goes to Eve. Well, remember, going back to the conversation with Eve and the serpent. Eve was supposed to rule over the serpent. God doesn't go to the serpent. He goes to Eve. So going down that hole again, <laughs> he says to Eve, and Eve is thinking in her mind, wait, this isn't my fault. So the blame has to fall to the next guy in line. So she responds back to God. The Lord says to the woman, what is this have you done? She says, the serpent deceives me, and I ate. See, again, that hierarchy of systems. So now, who can the serpent blame? 
deadly squat. Because in Genesis 1, you are the most crafty of all the ones that God had made. <laughs> I bet you wish you were moving now, huh? Nonetheless, it is a show. There were no equals to the serpent. He was the last of the inferiors. And when God gives his edicts and his curses, he goes back from the inferior and he ends with the superior. <laughs> now, I will conclude with those edicts, this sermon lesson. So, with my conclusion, let's look how God treated each one in the hierarchy of systems. I bring your attention to Genesis 3, 14. The Lord said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. So the edict has now been made onto the inferior. Next up the line. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pains in childbirth, and in pain you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So here's the little catch here part. You thought you can rule over your husband. Here's the curse. Not only is that going to be your desire to think that you're going to want to rule, he will still rule over you. And for every time you have childbirth, it's a further remembrance. It's a further remembrance that he still does. Because according to how God made it, you still need male and female. So when you become one flesh, and you bring forth children, that pain is to remember that your husband is still the head of the household. And your intention to usurp that, remember this pain, because that's not your job. But could you say Eve and the serpent got it easy? Yeah, because now the biggest brunt fell on Adam. And what happened with him and his stipulations is very clear. By verse 17, the Lord made it very clear to Adam, because you listened to the voice of your wife, you did not do your job. You have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it. So what did Adam do here in listening to his wife? He listened to the same lie she believed. She believed when the serpent said, surely you will not die, for God knows in a day you eat from this tree, your eyes will be open, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when she ate, she must have ran with Adam, which I don't, I don't think he was too far away. And he said, look, I ate from the tree, and the serpent told me that I surely won't die. God must have it wrong. I will not die. God must have it wrong. And in the day we eat from it, we will know better. Note here, God has made it very clear. You listened to your wife and you ate from the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat from. And on this edict, God then goes back to why he placed man in the garden. By verse 15 of Genesis 2, he was there to cultivate it and keep it. 
So what happens now with his curse? No longer anything you do will live. So when I, I have a good feeling and I can make an argument that as Adam grown crops and things of that nature and seeds that were in the, the earth, I believe because the way the rivers and the foreknowledge that God had put into them to understand, he was able to grow good yielding fruit for food. Note the curse. Curse is the ground because of you and in toil you eat of it all the days of your life. And both thorns and thistles shall grow for you. It used to be, you had like a green thumb. I think we had that adage now in the States where we talk about hit people who has a knack for growing things. But because of Adam, everything that he touches dies. And you will live by the sweat of your face. <laughs> and note here that you will eat bread till you return to the ground from which you were taken. Again, I don't think Adam understood what it meant when he disobeyed God. He just thought, oh, you know, I'm going to die, but I don't know what it looks like. Like I said, granted, when he saw his wife and he was she was naked, he was ashamed because he was like, oh, my gosh, we disobeyed God. We have to do something. We have to hide. But when Adam died, Adam died three ways in which I don't think he understood. And I can make an argument. Genesis makes that very clear. <laughs> One, he died spiritually. Followed by verses 23 and 24. Towards the latter part, God drove him out. But he dies a physical death. By Genesis 3, 19. You will eat bread to the day you return to the ground. For because of it, you are taken for dust is for you are dust, and to the dust you shall return. But there's also the internal death. And in verse 22, that same chapter, the Lord said to man, Behold, man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And he might stretch out his hand and also take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord sent Adam out of the garden. And by the later chapters, you notice he puts the cherubim there in order so that he doesn't eat from the tree of life. You see here, disobedience even transpired in the state of grace for Adam. And it should be eye-opening and telling why we in this day and age should definitely keep a keen eye on our own behaviors. You kind of fool yourself sometimes because you may think everything is peachy keen until it's not. And even to go a step further, especially when we get close to speaking about the revelations revealed in the moral law with the preamble, the first tablet, the second tablet, You'll notice how God, still in his plan, seeks to redeem his people. 
So remember this. If there's anything you can remember from what I conveyed today, I hope it is a clear understanding that as fallen creatures, our only desire is not to do God's will, but by the work of the Spirit in our hearts. And later, as I was claimed by the fulfillment of the law because of the work of Christ, we can Shall I lift to the Lord our God now in prayer?